Today, I have a conversation with Dr. Doug Grove about practical program development, what works and what doesn't when building learning experiences for today's students. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Welcome to this episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. This is the space where we explore the art and science of being more effective at facilitating learning. We also share ways to increase our personal productivity approaches so we can have more peace in our lives and be even more present for our students. Today, I welcome to the show Dr. Doug Grove. He's the Associate Provost, Vice President for Enrollment Management and Program Development, and he has been in the field of education his entire career. I'm fortunate to have worked with him previously and still in a way today, which I'll explain in a moment, but let me share a little bit more about his role. He has a role in developing online and blended programs and courses faculty development and online teaching, and he coordinates the efforts between the business office, marketing, adult and graduate admissions, and the office of the provost. And his role changed even a bit recently, and uh, hence the new title that just rolled out. And what he does really well is build things. And that's what I'm so excited to be able to talk to him about today. He has a bachelor's in English from Concordia University, a master's in educational technology from Pepperdine University, and a master's of science in leadership from Cal State Fullerton, and a PhD in education from Claremont Graduate University. He has extensive experience in writing state and federal grants, totaling more than 12 million in research funds. He has four peer-reviewed journal publications, two book chapters, three published books, and 46 paper presentations domestically. And Doug has taught English, business, and physical education in public and private school settings. He's served as a high school vice principal, the coordinator of a county office assessment unit, and a school board member. Doug Grove, welcome to Teaching in Higher Ed. Hi. Well, I know that when I read your bio, I probably sounded like I don't know you, but you and I, for people listening who won't know this, we actually know each other. Yes. We used to work together at the institution I am still at now, and I was telling you before I pressed record that I actually technically work for you still now, (laughs) teaching (laughs) as an adjunct a few times a year in a program that you developed. Doug, how would you describe your early experiences with using technology in a learning environment? Well, my background actually was in K-12 before I came into higher education. So much of my early use of technology was in environments, teaching in middle school, teaching in high school. I was a English teacher kind of by, by trade and by bachelor's degree. So I was fortunate enough in Anaheim Union High School District to work on several technology grants for one of our, our big comprehensive high schools there. And I had the opportunity to teach, but then to also train teachers you know, but that was years ago. So that was, you know, the high end of PowerPoint mm-hmm. and uh, things, things like that, that we have, you know, much better options uh, for today. More recently, and, you know, Bonnie, when you and I worked together, I had the opportunity to work on some master's degree programs and move them into an online environment. And then where I am now at Concordia, 
Uh, I'm fortunate to have, you know, four instructional designers that that build courses. We've been on a pretty good pace at Concordia. We've we've put out about four to five programs a year in the last two years. Uh, and those programs, they are offered fully online and also in a, in a hybrid version. So re- more recently, my, my involvement with technology is really leading a group of people to, to work with program directors that are building new programs and really take a look at what are some of the best technologies, be it Articulate or you know, video that we produce in-house, for content specific things and then for synchronous sessions, you know, we utilize Adobe Connect. So to help you know, help bridge that gap between academics and the technology side and what's gonna best help them meet their learning outcomes, uh, how the technology aligns to help them do that. Not only in graduate programs here at Concordia, but also in our adult degree programs as well. What are some of the things that today's students are asking for that it both makes really good sense because it really does facilitate learning well for them, but also makes good quote business sense for them because it's something that they really desire. You know, when I think about that question, I I think the one thing that comes to mind is just constant communication. I mean, not constant may not be the right word, but consistent communication. So one of the things that we we see in not only the course evaluations, but also in what the, what the student is wanting is they still want high touch, even though it's online, many of the students still want to make sure that they're getting consistent communication with the faculty member. You know, they obviously like in any, in any, you know, relationship, they want decent customer service as far as emails getting back to them on time and in a timely fashion. So I think communication is still a big piece that is not only, as you said, important for the students, but also important for the learning process as well. Whatever that vehicle of communication is, you know, it could be it could be emails, it could be something within the learning management system and a consistent way that the announcements are done for the course. But I think that communication is still very important on both fronts. You know, students want flexibility. So uh, where we're located in California, we're right in the middle of like two very busy freeways. And most people aren't going to want to drive here. They want the flexibility of being able to come to class online. They want the flexibility of, you know, maybe not having to come at a specific time, but being able to come on their time. So that continues to be an important flexibility for them. I would say that that flexibility piece can be a challenge on the academic side as far as what kind of content you have to develop to allow for that flexibility. But that gives us an important way to look at classes as well. We obviously, uh, we have to meet our learning outcomes, but we also have to attract students and be able to retain students. So... We have to be considerate of their desire to want that flexibility within our programs as well. I was thinking about the, you talking about the consistent communication. The program that I teach for you is for educators. I teach a class that is involving technology and leadership for educators. And about three weeks ago, I have a problem with my wrist and my hands and sometimes especially high peak grading times are tough for me. I get in a lot of physical pain. And there was a assignment that had a rubric, but it just made more sense. Instead of me typing out my comments, I just did a, a little screencast. And I actually used a combination of a program called Tapes. Tapes is on the Mac, and it's just a one-click thing. It records whatever's on your screen and your voice. 
and then it gives you the link back. But it has a 60-minute limit. So when I reached my 60-minute limit this month, <laughs> then I flipped over to use Snagit, which Snagit also has a really nice workflow for really quick sh- quick screencasts. At any rate, I just screencasted the rubric and talked them through yeah. about where they landed on the rubric. And then I showed them their paper. And since these are doctoral students, they're getting ready to work on their dissertation. I said, hey, this doesn't affect your grade. But I just thought I'd let you know that if you actually did a hanging indent on your list of references, you wouldn't have to sit here and put space, space, space at the end of every single line. And they were completely blown away by that. It was just so funny because to me, I was partially doing it because I know people like voice grading, but also just I was in pain. And it's so much easier for me to communicate that way. And it adds such richness to them. I really do see that. And that, and that I even think that they like that more because it was, they can do that on their own pace at the, sitting on their own computer and watch those things. It's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, a, you know, it's another venue for communication. What are students of today not asking for that they maybe don't even realize that they need, or at least would benefit from? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, and it, it, it's interesting because at Concordia, we spent a lot of time making sure that the learning management system was easy to navigate. So we really tried to create a, a learning environment within the learning management system where students come in, they know so they go to week one of the class and everything's there. And I'm not sure that, I, I would say that's something we did on our end because we knew it, it, it's kind of a best practice. And you don't want students to, you know, you don't want students to come to a class and get lost for an hour trying to figure out how to navigate the class, the learning management system in the, in the classroom. I think to a certain extent, at least new students we have, they don't know any different. So they come to a class that's well organized and they think, you know, that's just the way it, that's the way it is. That's the way it should be. I'm not sure that kind of organizational scheme or structure is anything that students are, are really looking for. The synchronous sessions we've done, we've built into many of our programs uh, required synchronous sessions. For some students, you know, it's kind of it's like the student that wants a face-to-face program still or the student that wants an online program still. Not all students are going to be great fans of those synchronous sessions. And, you know, I think what, what we realize is part of those synchronous sessions is, is it's a good relational piece, a good communication piece for our faculty, especially when we have faculty that, that do a really good job of teaching online. I, I'm a big believer that that helps retention and that the students, you know, they get the opportunity, even though it is online, to engage in real time with the faculty. So, I mean, we see a lot of benefits, but I'm not so sure every student really wants that. There's the trade-off for flexibility a little bit. So, you want to have these required attended synchronous sessions, but you also are trying to provide, you know, a decent level of flexibility to the, to the consumer. It's one of those things that if given too much flexibility, then there can almost become, at least in my experience, just this snowball effect. And by some point, they're so buried that they just can't catch up. And then it's going to be really hard, if, especially, I don't know if all of the programs you're designing are through a cohort model. Are they are they all cohorts? Or are you doing some differently than having students? Uh, yeah, yeah, some of the programs are cohorts, like the doctoral program that you teach in is a cohort program. And then um, we have some other programs that the student can enter at any point in the program. So whatever courses are being offered, they can start. So, so especially, a, you know, there's a little bit of flexibility there. Yeah, especially the cohort ones, though. I missed that opportunity to take the class because I got too far behind and I couldn't catch myself up. 
well, then it's going to be perhaps a full year, maybe not quite a year, but before I could catch up. And then I, I guess you're just probably potentially losing some students. Maybe you didn't need to, if they had just that little extra oomph. I say this as someone, by the way, who went to the gym to work out this morning, because there's a jazzercise class and it starts at 915. And if I'm not there, they don't wait for me. We just, <laughs> and I miss it. And that, that I think that there's a lot of research out there. I shouldn't say, I think, I know there's a lot of research out there that shows that those accountability pieces along the way help people complete online programs better. Yeah. And I know the one, the one piece we have just because I just got out, I just finished teaching an MBA course. These are seven-week courses, and I had a couple students that had a bunch of travel for work, and then I had a student uh, in France. So what I did was, if we had some lecture sessions, I would chunk those out in like 10 or 15-minute segments. And so I gave the students the option of, you can show up face-to-face, you can show up online, or you can watch the recordings. Mm. And so I, I kind of gave them that uh, high flex option because two of the students were, you know, they just, they weren't going to be able to finish the course if they had to show up to every class period and they were good students. So, you know, for them, for them, it was fine. It worked, it worked out. So that's, we built in, you know, we have some flexibility where we can do some of those things and offer them to the students. We're not, we don't have a program yet that is a completely high flex program like that, but I think that's something we're definitely going to going to pilot. Speaking of programs, what's a program that you've had a chance to build from the ground up that you're most proud of in terms of best meeting the needs of learners? I would have to say we've learned so much, but probably one of my one of my favorite programs here that we built right away is our master's degree in uh, educational administration. It's a very high demand program that we offer. And we built into that, we kind of built into that some, it's fully online, but we built in some required synchronous session attendance. We have some really good um, learning modules in that program. And I, you know, I, I don't know if it's the, the speed at which we, you know, we, we finished that program up in about eight months and it was like 10 courses. So it was like a sprint, but we had some, we had some great subject matter experts, people that are out in the, out in the field you know, doing administration in our schools every day. And they just had a real good sense of what was needed, how we could improve upon the face-to-face program that we've been very successful with for years. You know, the other thing I think that makes me really like that program is it had immediate enrollment success. So as, a, <laughs> as someone that's, you know, responsible for overseeing enrollment management here at Concordia, I really, I, it helps when a program hits some really good enrollment targets right out the gate. So it was a well, well-received program. Uh, we've get, we get great feedback on it. And um, it kind of within the first year that that program was out, it, uh, the enrollments in that program surpassed the, face to, the traditional face-to-face program. And what kinds of things have you built in? Because I know you, you've done that in other programs. What have you built into this program to keep it more, though, that high touch with the instructors? So, I mean, yeah. what kinds of sizes of classes do you have and, and how do you keep that high touch? Yeah, so we keep the class size around 12. And, you know, we may push that to 15, but typically it's about 12. And then we'll open another section we do have uh, a specific place in the syllabus and every faculty member is required to do some individual advising. There's a little wiggle room with that. We will have professors that want to pair people up and do 
you know, like uh, one-on-two advising. I think that's one piece that helps that kind of high touch, high connect. Uh, as I mentioned, they do synchronous sessions. So I believe their synchronous sessions, that's an eight-week program. Those courses run in eight weeks. So I believe they have synchronous sessions on week one, week three, uh, week five, and week seven. And then I think they do some, for some of those courses, they do presentations in week eight. And those are, those are recorded and the students show up to those in a synchronous fashion as well. So those are some of the high-touch pieces. One thing that we, we require in that program too is every week at the beginning of the week, the professor has to record kind of an intro video, you know, usually two to three minutes that just says, hey, you know, this is Professor Grove. It's week one of the class. Here's what we're doing this week. Here's some of the things that you want to pay attention to. You know, be sure you read that article from so-and-so because the discussion board's really going to focus on some discussion thread questions that have to do with that article. So we, we think that's another piece that just creates a real, you know, high touch for the student. They know that every week before they start looking into the what's in the class that week, they can listen to the professor give a little two or three minute overview of what's going to happen that week and what they should focus on. And is there anything behind the scenes that you might share around how you made that happen? Because I imagine that perhaps not every professor you've ever come across would be able to easily say, hey, great, I'll put a two to three video. I got it. Check. What, 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 are, what tools are they using or what coaching did you give them to be able to do that successfully each week? Yeah, so we, um, we do have someone that does that specifically just works on the faculty development and the faculty training side. And we model best by example. So I know mm. that I know that John, the guy that works for us, he's he's done a lot of one-on-one trainings with faculty. He's done some uh, larger size trainings with faculty. When a program specifically, let let let's say uh, um, our school of professional studies, let's say they're going to launch a new program. What we will do is when we bring in the subject matter experts to train them to build the courses, we'll go over all these course requirements. So. Part of it is, one, having those requirements in the program directors saying, you know, if you're going to teach in this program, you're going to do this intro video. So, I mean, at one level, it's kind of, it's a little bit top down, which, you know, in our case has been well received. So no one, you know, with that specific example, no one's arguing that it's not a good idea to have an intro video. It's it's obviously, it, it is a good idea. But then we have to have, you know, John be able to train them to do that, whether it's, I mean, you can, you can, you know, I do this when I teach. I just use my iPhone. I mean, I, I video myself, I upload it to YouTube, and then I post it on Blackboard. And it can be that simple, or if someone wants to use the, you know, some of the other products that are out there to tape themselves, John will sit down with them. Or we also have, we have a short little five-minute video that goes through that process of taping yourself, loading it up, and then putting it into Blackboard. I'm not sure if you or John recommend this, but because I run across it so much with the students I work with, and I suspect people listening might not know that, know this, YouTube has, I believe, three settings for a video. It can be private. Well, if it's private and you post it, no one's going to be able to see it (laughs) unless they have your login or or some. So you don't want to do private, but there's two other ones you could choose. You could do completely public, which means that it's going to be in the search engines of YouTube and anyone can come find it. And maybe that's what you want for your course because you'd like to invite other learners who are just interested in the topic that you're talking about. But probably for an intro video, the best setting for people would be unlisted. 
And unlisted just means that I have to have the link in order to see your video. It's not going to show up on your channel and it's not going to show up for anybody to search for it. So the only way they can get to it is through that link. And then you can easily embed through YouTube on whatever learning management system or tool you're using. So I would just highly suggest people check out unlisted as an option for your videos, especially intro videos like this. What is a mistake that you've made in terms of designing a program or class that you think of frequently today when you're designing programs or classes? Oh, (laughs) probably a lot. Um, (laughs) This may sound a little bit strange, but I think one of the mistakes we made early on when we designed some of these programs was we're trying to be all things, kind of all students. Mm. And so I would say, you know, if I had to go back, I mean, there's, and, and every program and every, you know, every program specifically is a little different. You know, the learning outcomes are obviously going to be different. The way you need to get at the learning outcomes are going to be different. And we, we have, I will just say, one of the bigger mistakes we've probably made is we just took our structure and placed it on any new program. So... If, if I were to do some of these programs over again, I probably would sit down with the program more in the beginning, better understand the syllabus, the outcomes, and then kind of work backward. I think we've just, you know, we've done a lot of production and we just keep moving courses through kind of the same production model. Mm-hmm. If we could have backward mapped some of these programs, I think we would have probably made less mistakes and probably would have created, you know, I mean, we have we have really good programs. Don't get me wrong, but you know, I think we we would have we would have done some things a little bit differently, like the synchronous sessions. You know, do those need to be in every class? You know, is should that be a requirement across the program that every course is going to meet these nights in the synchronous format? I think of like certain law courses or pharmacology courses. I'm not sure how many synchronous sessions you need in some of those classes. Uh, I'm just not sure how valuable they are. Mm-hmm. So I think if it, you know, if I'd say we'd make one mistake, if if I would say a, a, a mistake, and it's all it's always a you know it's always a push pull, which is alignment. You know, you wanna you wanna do the best job you can aligning the use of technology to those course and program learning outcomes. And you can all we can always tighten that up. I just think we're gonna we're gonna do a couple programs a little differently here in the next year. Uh, and we're going to try to t- kind of tighten that alignment up on the front end versus, you know, noticing that we need to tweak it later on down the road. It reminds me a little bit of a re- recent guest that I had on who talked about times for telling. And I don't know if you've ever heard of that before, but it, it's basically instead of I was thinking of always the flipped classroom. Okay, the for me, the Friday session, well, that's where they get they watch a few pen casts online, they take a quiz to make sure they've done the reading. And then I see them on Monday and on Wednesday. And that's more active learning, small case studies and classes. And that's, that's how, and that's sort of what I'm hearing you describe. Well, I have this, I have this structure. It's worked well. It does, it is designed around certain learning theories, but what he really started to challenge me to do more was to think about, well, what if it was actually the Wednesday at the last thing in class that you could create some mystery for them. And he, I think he, I'm trying to remember, I think he's either in math or science, but for him it was, you know, how do we start to just unravel this little piece 
and get them curious about solving this problem. Because then when they go to watch the Friday videos when they're on their own, they already have their curiosity peaked because you did that in the classroom with something that was a little bit more powerful. So like for me, I, I kind of, I still think, yeah, having a basic architecture around a program, as you said earlier with your LMS, I don't want to have to teach you every single class. You have to reteach yourself. Where does this person put the assignments and where does this person put the thing? Where do I post my homework? (laughs) Yeah. This person does it by week, but the other person does it by topic. I'm really confused. And you don't want to confuse people in an already rigorous and and fast paced program. But at the same time, being willing to give up that structure if it makes sense and having that healthy tension is what I'm hearing from you. Yeah, I think there's, I mean, look, the Socratic model is really what I think we're, we're all trying to get at in higher education, even, even in traditional higher education, that's largely face to face. You know, we, we want students to review what they're supposed to review. We want them to come ready to be in class and to actually engage in some, you know, some deeper level discussion, whether that's on a discussion thread or it's in a live synchronous session. You know, we want them moving, we want them moving from the lower levels of blooms to the, to the higher levels of blooms and, and, you know, helping them take those ideas or take those concepts, make application out of them or make evaluation out of them and, and have a much more, you know, rich discussion discussion. Yeah. And being willing to, I really like that tension. It's both. It sounds what you've essentially said to me is that just your success and your failure all wrapped into one. <laughs> that, 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 <laughs> that that tension is part of that success for you. Because if you did unpack every single thing before you got it started on it, you'd never get to roll anything out. Because by the time you rolled it out, probably the factors that you would have been considering that whole time might have even changed. So I hear yeah. it's a healthy tension. I hear. Yeah. It actually reminds me of studying a bit strengths-based management and talking about any of our strengths that when we turn the volume up too high, they become our weaknesses. And that sounds a little bit like this. Yep. Do you have any favorite tools or even just types of tools that you have been enjoying playing with or would recommend to people to check out? Yeah, I mean, I, I like Adobe Connect. It's the platform we've been using. You know, I think it's it still has still has some issues, but... By and large, at least in the instruction that I've done, it's it served me well. What are you using inside of some of the features that you like about it? You know, I like screen share. Obviously, I had a number of students do presentations this last year, and they they were able to just get in there and then drive the drive the session, drive the Q and A. I like that aspect of it. I do like that you can see a number of different people in there as well. I do like that you can structure, you can preload your classroom. So that everything that you're going to use or all the PowerPoints you're going to use or whatever it is that you're going to show is already loaded in there before class starts. And then you can, you know, you can order it. I think that's one thing I learned early on is I'm not going to tape myself for an hour. If I have some segments that I'm going to do and then have some discussion around them, I'll just tape, you know, maybe 10 minutes of that segment. And then I save that as a separate video and then the students can go back. What I do is just post them into, into Blackboard then. And several students have commented to me, you know, hey, I listened to you talk. What do I talk? I talk about socioeconomic approach to management, and that's kind of a complicated idea. And I had several students that said they went back in and, and watched the video and listened to actually some of the Q&A again. You know, and that's a nice way just for them to be able to kind of, you know, figure out what it is they didn't get out of that session, what they still need to learn before the, the next assessment. I've been using Dragon Naturally Speaking a lot, mm. <laughs> believe it or not. Mm. 
And I've actually been using it because we do a lot of script writing uh, in some of our course development. We try to identify content, like let's say content from a discipline that's that's pretty stable. So I teach statistics and you know things in statistics don't really change that much. So if you're talking about correlation, correlation is correlation. It's been the same <laughs> for a long time. I've been using Dragon Natural Speaking to actually produce the scripts that then we we have them build the modules with. So it's just much better than typing it out for me. And it actually, I think it's better because the flow of my speech is different if I were just sitting there typing it instead. So I think mm -hmm. it brings a little bit more of a kind of a relaxed feeling to the to the module that's actually going to play eventually as well. So I used Dragon Naturally Speaking years ago. I mean, it's been around forever. And I used to not have to speak the punctuation. And then I purchased a copy maybe six months ago and thought, here we go again. And then I had to do I had to speak every time I wanted a question mark or a period is has that changed? Or am I just did I just not set it up right? I think you occasionally have to tell it to put a period in. But okay. You know, I think it captures that pretty good. And the more, you know, it's kind of got that, it, the more it gets used to your voice, mm. I think the better the transcription gets. So you're talking just like you're talking right now and you're not having to put the periods in except for occasionally? Yeah. Oh, okay. I'll have to try it and out. And I'll go back, you know, you go back, clean it up a little bit if you have to. Yeah. But oh. for me, I like to walk around my office and talk. So. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that is Suits one of those things. Regard that I think you have to get used to doing. So not, don't give up right away if people start playing with it. And even if people don't want to invest right away in it, I don't know if they have a trial version. I sort of think they do. But then most yeah, of the do. most of the operating systems today have at least some form of text recognition built in too. Any other tools? That's about all I'm working all right. with right now. <laughs> Adobe Connect, I was going to mention, I really like that it has polls in there. And that's something oh, yeah. that I've been asking all of the students to do now, at least at one point in their presentations, to have some kind of a poll to get them used to not just having real passive presentations and, and get them used to using that tool. So I'll have them. It does make it a little bit harder on me because, as you mentioned, I do preload it. So I have to preload them since that's not something they're able to do on their end. But I think it's worth it for what they learn about facilitating online sessions and getting more engagement going on. Yeah, that's a good idea. All right, this is the time in the show where we each give a recommendation. And I'm going to recommend just a mindset of batch processing. And kind of associated with that is the idea of doing it now. <laughs> and it's one of those things that, especially as time gets tight, that if I'm sitting down at my computer and, well, example, recording this show, to the extent that I can do everything around recording the show all in one sitting, that means I don't have to open up all the windows and get everything ready again. And, and, and later on, if, if I don't leave myself enough time. So what I've started to do with blocking out the times in my calendar for the podcast is not just block out times that I need to do the interview, but also block out a little bit of time to record the intro, record the conclusion, get everything that I need to done for this one type of work, in this case, recording and then not have to come back to it later. And I'm finding this works really well with dishes. <laughs> I'm finding this works really well <laughs> with packing my bag for the next day. I never, I mean, I don't forget things if I pack my bag the night before, but I'll tell you what, I'm just darn, I'm just 
you can just count on me for getting something if I'm doing it that morning and I'm in a rush and the kids are up and they want to hug for mommy before she goes to work and all of that. Um, So I'm all about batch processing these days is thinking about how can I do like work during one time and just take care of things right now. And it just, it it really works. And, And combining that with blocking times out of my calendar to do that, if it requires concentration, or in this case, I'm sitting in this, in our podcasting studio. So this required a little bit of coordination with my husband that he wasn't expecting to be working in here right now too. So batch processing and the idea of doing it now, just get it done, check it off. Uh, what is your, what's your recommendation? Well, I'll recommend a book. I, I'm just about to finish. It's called Start With Why. It's by Simon Sinek. And uh, he has a pretty good TED video on this book as well. But hmm. it's a book about leadership. My role really is, is more so at the leadership level here at the university. Um, I do a little teaching. I, don't, I, don't, I haven't done a whole lot of course design in the last two years because I'm, I'm blessed to have a really great team that, that handles all that stuff for me. But my role really is about leadership. And this book, uh, Start With Why?, uh, the subtitle is How Great Leaders Inspire Everyone to Take Action. And, you know, at Concordia University, it's, we're very much a purpose-driven institution. And the book has kind of given me some things to think about as far as, you know, when I lead, I need to bring people back to, you know, why, why are we really doing this? And why are we all on the same team? And, you know, that is the case, whether it's the enrollment office or the faculty or, you know, the financial aid office or the registrar's office. We're all uh, we're all kind of pulling the same row, um, and we all need to work together. So it's been a good book along those lines. Oh, it sounds wonderful! And I will link to the TED Talk for people who may want to check that out instead of the book or in addition to the book. Yeah. And as I look at the cover of the book, I'm realizing that Dave, my husband, actually is about to interview him for his podcast. So I will post a link oh, to his podcast episode too if people want just a different flavor of a conversation with. I think it's Simon Sinek, maybe. Yeah, I may have said it wrong. I think you said it right. Anyway, well, Doug, it was great catching up with you before I pressed record and after I pressed record. And I just want to thank you for carving out time of your busy day to share with the teaching in higher ed listeners. You bet, Bonnie. Thank you. Thanks once again to Dr. Doug Grove for being on this episode number 82. And you can access all of the links and things we talked about at the show notes at teachinginhighered.com slash 82. And I also encourage you, whatever service it is that you use to listen to the show, if you would think about just doing a quick rating or writing a review for Teaching in Higher Ed, it's really easy to do and make such an impact on helping more people discover the show and that's just to build the community even more. And if you have yet to subscribe to the newsletter, you'll receive those show notes automatically in your inbox. You don't have to remember to go grab them. And also an article about teaching or productivity on most weeks. You can subscribe at teachinginhighered.com slash subscribe, and you will receive the 19 tools that help you use technology for personal productivity and also in your teaching. Thanks so much for listening. And I just really have enjoyed all of the emails that have been coming in with feedback about the show. And thanks to all of you for listening and being a part of the community. I'll see you next time.